0: On today's edition of the WFHB Local News, we present a special in collaboration with Bring It On, titled The Power of the Black and Brown Vote. Host William Hosea invites panelists from the Saturday, October 3rd discussion, hosted by the Monroe County Democratic Party, the Monroe County Black Legislative Caucus, and the Indiana District 9 Latino Democratic Caucus. The panelists for tonight's program include District 2 Circuit Court Judge Valerie Houghton, and chair of the 9th District Latino Democratic Caucus, Natalia Galvin. We now present The Power of the Black and Brown Vote, brought to you by Bring It On and the WFHB Local News.
1: Good evening, I'm William Hosea, and welcome to another edition of Bring It On. This is a short Bring It On. We are a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 15th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. On Saturday, October 3rd from 1 to 3 p.m. on Facebook Live, the Monroe County Democratic Party The Monroe County Black Democratic Caucus and the Indiana Ninth Latino Democratic Caucus will be hosting Power of the Black and Brown Vote. Can you hear us now? With the November 3rd general election just five weeks away, it's important that we hear from those in our black and brown communities. You'll hear from panelists such as Dana Black, the deputy chair for engagement for the Indiana Democratic Party and Carla Lopez Owens, Voter Education Chair for the Indiana Latinx Democratic Caucus, along with other notable panelists who will also discuss how Black and Brown voters are critical and should not be taken for granted. Nicole Bolden, Clerk for the City of Bloomington, will be moderating this powerful discussion. To provide an overview of the event we have with us tonight, the Honorable Valerie Houghton Motley, Division II Circuit Court Judge, And joining her is Natalia Galvin, chair of the Indiana 9th District Latino Democratic Caucus. Ladies, welcome to this special edition of Bring It On. Thank you.
0: Thank you. you. Thank you, William.
1: So we have about uh, half an hour to unpack everything. So uh, Judge, if you don't mind, I'm going to start with uh, Natalia. And I want you to go ahead and just let's get it out there uh, out front right now and tell us what you want everyone to know. About this event on October the third.
0: Well, I first I want to say that I'm so excited. Um, Jennifer Crosley, the chair of the Monroe County Democratic Party, and Byron Turner, um, the chair of our president of the Monroe County Black Democratic Caucus, reached out to me and asked asked uh, the Indiana Nine Latino Democratic Caucus if we want to be a part of this event. We're so excited, right? We just kind of reorganized in July of. 2020 um, after, you know, a lot of events, you know, that happened not only in our community, but in our state, in our, in our nation. And we felt like we had, the Latino caucus felt like we had to reorganize. And so we were so excited when we were invited uh, to join the planning um, and the table for this amazing event. I went to last year's event and it was, it was a great event at City Hall. We knew that this conversation needs needed to happen this year. So even with COVID kind of brainstorming and how that was going to happen because just so many issues, whether it's, you know, defund the police or climate change or educational inequity, you know, especially with schools um, trying to deal with kind of COVID, what to do, right, during COVID and virtual learning and how the economic uh, disparity between uh, communities and stuff, we just knew there was a lot to talk about. Um, especially before the election, so we were we were just super excited as a caucus to invite it to the table and to help further that conversation, not only in our community, but when we were assembling the panel of the panel of speakers, you know, to kind of brainstorm and see, you know, who we could reach out to in our state that was was doing the work, you know, in this space. So we're just super excited about the event, just all the voices and then uh, and the engagement. We hope to start the conversation and then it will continue on.
1: So, Judge Hart, as a sitting judge, from your perspective, what do you want people to know about the event?
2: Well, I I agree with Natalia. I I think that it's important to address all of the issues. I I think that what I want people to get from the event is the importance of voting. I, I cannot stress that enough. It's like voting, 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 because our votes will impact everything that we do in our country and and everything that that uh, we will do from this point forward. And there are a lot of things I personally would like to hear addressed. The current events with regard to appointment of the new, of a new Supreme Court justice, whether or not how people feel about it, what issues should be addressed with regard to that. As she said, climate change is important. We're going to be dealing with you know that and I'd like to hear that addressed. But just the impact of voting or not voting, uh, addressing mail-in voting, absentee voting, and so those are some of the, and how that impacts the black and brown communities in particular. So those are, those are issues that I would like to hear addressed.
1: The Black Caucus stood up in 2016. Now, I'm not going to mention who the first president was, but if I did, I would say it was yours truly. (laughs) But I do want to say that uh, Judge Harden was one of the founding members back in uh, 2016. And I wanted to ask uh, Judge Harden, what was the purpose? Uh, Now, Natalia kind of deferred to why they decided to stand up the Latino Caucus, but what was the purpose of standing up the Black Caucus back then?
2: Part of it was that we have a substantial, not huge, but substantial Black community in uh, Monroe County. And we, at at the time it was started, I believe I was the only Black elected official in the county. I'm not sure. I think that Nicole Bolden for the city had been elected as, as clerk, but we have a dearth of of black elected officials and, and also not enough people are engaged in the political process here. It's, as I said, it's important for people to be engaged in the process in order to effectuate change. And part of it was to get more people of color engaged in the actual process of participation in, in our community politics, especially locally. I think a lot of people think it's important, and and it is, to uh, to participate in presidential politics. But unfortunately, the off years, say the city elections or the county elections, if it's not a presidential year, people Mm -hmm. don't participate in. So we wanted to encourage people of color to, and especially black people, to to participate in, in local politics.
1: And uh, I can say firsthand and from experience that that is a really heavy lift, getting people uh, of color to engage in the political process. But then one thing I like to keep in mind is that it goes back to the percentage of the population here. Now, Natalia, if my numbers are correct, the uh, 2019 population estimates from the U.S. Census say that the county is 3.7% Black and 3.6% Latino, which is not much, it's just not a difference at all. Yeah. What, what's your experience, and, and you represent the entire Ninth District, right? Yeah. Whereas the Black Caucus is only representative yeah. of Monroe County. But what's your experience in getting Latino people to get involved in the, in the political process?
0: Yeah, so right behind me is a a picture of our district. I know it's hard on the radio, so we go all the way from Greenwood all the way down to the Harrison County over down by the Kentucky border, right? The Kentucky Louisville border and Indiana 9, our congressional district covers 13 counties. So, um, but I think to speak to your question about how you know, what that outreach looks like, right? What Latino outreach looks like, um, not only in our community, but in our district and how to get more engagement. I have found that even just talking to my other co-caucus chairs. So there are nine congressional districts in Indiana and each congressional district has a Latino caucus. And we were actually one of the last ones. So back in 2017, um, Anuel Campos Diaz who works for the for the university, and Sophia McDowell, who is our, I think our secretary for the Democrat, uh, Monroe County Democratic mm-hmm. Party, um, they started, they founded the caucus back in 17. And we were the last caucus to be formed, which is surprising because Bloomington is a pretty engaged area, but we, we, we formed then. And as I did outreach with different uh, Latino caucus chairs in, around the state, I found that even at that level, right? So even caucus chairs were feeling very disengaged still and even marginalized right so we're it's almost like you have a seat at the table in terms of trying to do outreach but even leaders at that level were still feeling like they weren't um being heard or they they felt very alone right because our state really like you spoke to William with those statistics kind of statewide um our our population isn't really that big, right? So it's not like a Chicago or a uh, another kind of metropolitan area. And I've just, I, I've done in my outreach um, and I think that it is, um, it kind of um, reflects the larger national picture is that um, the caucus or is that the Latino community and I just want to preface it, we are not monolithic, right? We're, we encompass a lot like, they are Mexicans and Puerto Rican and Cubans and just run the gamut, right? So we're not a monolith, but I would say that it is very common to hear that people feel disconnected from the political process, right? And then um, feel like their voices aren't being heard or that it's like when candidates kind of need you, they come around, around election time and maybe you want a picture um, or come into your community there. But that's not a reflection of really being heard. Right. That's not a reflection of the community really being like you're at my table. That's I'm here for campaign time. I'm here for a picture and then I'm going to leave.
2: It feels more like it's a photo op, like you're being used and exploited rather than actually
0: being able to give some input, I think. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the conversation. Right. It's like, how do we how do we really connect um, with our community in order to to harness that voice and harness that frustration and channel it into something positive. As soon as our focus right for the next part of the year and then in 2021 especially is using this tool, Uh, we were so lucky that uh, William came to um, our last Zoom meeting, our last big call out meeting, but my cousin, Carlos Villarreal, he lives in Bloomington and he's a big data guy. So he was able to create a tool for us to target um, where through using census data, like where these communities are that I'm not familiar with in our district, right? So I candidly, I volunteer for Liz Watson's race in 2018. She was our Indiana Nine congressional candidate in the 2018 cycle. And so I canvass all these areas. I would go to Martinsville, I go to Bedford, I would knock doors for her in Seymour and um, New Albany, just kind of name a place and I probably have been there knocking doors for her. In those communities that I'm not as familiar with as Bloomington, How do I start doing that outreach? And I think it's just going out to different communities and different neighborhoods. Is it churches? Is it community centers? I'm like, when I was young, um, I grew up in Chicago, and uh, my parents were very involved in our Catholic Church and doing outreach in terms of through the church and like for adopt a child program, you know, like for holiday Christmas parties and making sure that the angel tree uh, was done or Halloween parties and engagement through through the church. And I think that that's what it looks like. It's like, where, where are our communities? And we have to go to their spaces and we really have to do the work in that way to say, we, we see you and we hear you and it's time to do the work of engagement by reaching people where they are, not where we want them to be, not by them coming to us. We really need to go to them.
1: You touched on something that, that I want to comment on. Carlos, and this tool that he has to identify voters is, is just amazing. I've been working with him, and it's going to allow the Black Caucus here before the election to send out these targeted mailers, probably about 1,100 of them, to, to specific addresses to encourage people to vote, information about voting places, uh, the times that the uh, polls will be open, so on and so forth. And you know before that we didn't have anything uh, like that in place, so i I suspect Carlos is gonna be in hot demand, Judge harden. you wanted to follow up with what Natalia just said?
2: Well, I actually had a question, and I realized that you're the one that's doing most of the questioning, but I was just curious about how many not just in district not in district nine but in Monroe County, how many Latino voters have been identified here in monroe county if if you know. I'm, I'm curious.
0: Yeah, so I've actually been doing a lot of data outreach on the last cycle. Okay, I'm just going to go down a little data data kind of hole for a second. So the last okay. um, cycle in 2019 was our municipal, right? I was trying to look to see how the Monroe County data compared to our van data, compared to what Carlos is doing. Now, what Carlos is doing is a little bit different because it's not voters, it's census data, right? So census data doesn't necessarily mean that you're a voter. It just means that in the census you've identified in that way, right? But the likelihood is you're capturing people in that community, so I I totally like that's super valuable and that's where we want to be.
2: So I just want to kind
0: of preface it that way. But I was looking at the 2019 data, and I've reached out now. Some of it is a little bit ban. So ban is the voter. I didn't even get this acronym wrong, but like the voter access network. I think it's, I think that's correct. There data doesn't always match up with the county but I have emailed um, Nicole Brown's team right uh, right now because some of that data that I could kind of point to isn't isn't all there right now in terms of total total voters so I can compare it to Van and all that uh, kind of registered area so I started with Nicole Brown's team and then I think she forwarded me to Karen and Transparently, uh, we started it very recently. So Karen's like, I'm really busy with the general. And I I can't, you know, like in order to compare that data, I can't take away her time from that. But um, I will get you that number because that is a number that we're interested in too, just to make sure that van is accurate. Because right now, van is what we're using to compare and see what uh, the numbers with the county look like, also, just just on a smaller level, right? So I'm going to have to try to trust. Van for the other areas, but Monroe County's so close to us, you know, that it's like, it, it's a good baseline to kind of do some comparison with. Sure, and
2: yeah. William, I, I guess now following up on what, what Natalia said, I, it made me think about the census and how important it is for everyone to respond to the census and to be sure and get their numbers in because I know that there are a lot of people, especially in this climate, that we have in the country right now that just don't trust the idea of giving information to census to the Census Bureau. And, and it is crucially important. It'll be important for getting money for the county, for the community, for the state, you know, to, to get our census numbers in. So everyone, whether documented, undocumented, registered to vote or not, everyone needs to get to get that information in as soon as possible.
1: You know, I, I kind of wonder how difficult or how stressful it is to make that decision whether or not to send in your personal data, uh, because look at who you're sending it to. Someone who exactly. does not want you to be here and someone who would pull out all stops and using it against you to, to deport you if you're not a documented uh, immigrant. Judge Harden, just for the record, if you have any more questions, feel free, because I can't remember the last <laughs> time I told a judge you can't ask a question. that never happened. (laughs) I also wanted to say, this is not the first joint venture between the Black and Latino caucus. Back in uh, March of 2018, with Manuel Campos Diaz, we hosted a, a candidate forum. And so my question is, you know, fast forward to 2020, can we view this as a, a, a new sustained partnership or can we expect to see more collaborative events like this if so if so what would be the impact of black and brown political organizations combining their efforts to to do things like get out the vote to educate the public i mean how far can we go with this and that that's for both of you
2: I guess I would say we can go as far as we can possibly go, I, that, that's a, an open ended question with no real answer, but I would love to see a coalition continue because I think it strengthens both communities when we cooperate, we have enough marginalization of each community and as Natalia said, neither community is a monolithic group but I, I think the, the strength in numbers cliche as it may sound is true and and the more we encourage each other to coalesce to to get out and do something that strengthens our ability to affect change so if they're joint forums that's fine if they're joint uh, efforts to encourage others to participate I think that's a wonderful thing I will tell you that I have to give this caveat. I cannot discuss anything at all that concerns fundraising because as, as a judge, we are not allowed to do that. So I'm not going to address that at all. But I think that simply being active, addressing social issues and political issues together will always strengthen both of our communities. I would love for that to continue and will happily participate in any joint forums that that are suggested or organized.
1: And is it safe to say, as a judge, you're not encouraging people to vote one way or the other. You just want them to get out and vote, right?
2: Absolutely not. I was taught from the time I think I could move that voting was important, that people had died for my right to vote. And it. I was never told, even by my family, how to vote. But I was always told, I needed to vote. I needed to be an informed voter. I needed to learn the issues, I needed to understand who the candidates were and what their positions were and then vote accordingly. I would never ever try to influence anyone, you know, to vote in a certain way, you know, from my role as judge. Of course, I'm going to say I'd love for people to vote for me. Understand that. <laughs> but but I mean, no, I'm not in, I'm not trying to tell people you know, how to vote. Just that they need to vote because if you don't vote, then you truly
0: don't have a say. Natalia? I couldn't have said it better than than the judge. And I think I kind of said it in the beginning too. Um, we are honored and privileged to be at this table. I was the audience member at last year's event at City Hall and it was, it was a great event. But anytime, you know, we can come together and amplify each other's voices, I think is an amazing opportunity and one that I'm honored to be a part of. Uh, There's so much work to do, right? So I transparently have been after my involvement with Liz Watson's race, I've been working on a lot of state races, um, especially in areas that could flip or red, I call them red areas. So we have so much work to do in the state house with the supermajority and everything. That's where I've been doing a lot of my work until um, we decided to put the Latino caucus back together. What I was noticing too when we were doing that is that with our boards and the commissions, right, with both the city and the county, it just doesn't seem to be a lot of diversity in terms of ethnicity and in age. And that, that's not just, we don't just need Latino voices. We need all kinds of voices, right, in order to really represent our community. Because right now, I just don't really feel like, like I see that. So there's so much work to do. And I'm like, yeah. I always feel like there's, we're better together, right? So anytime we can help, uh, we come to work and we, we know that change doesn't happen without people saying, no, we, we can do better.
1: So at, at the local level, between the uh, Black and Latino caucus, we can really have an impact on a lot of the down ballot races. But at the national level, both of these communities re- really become a, a force, much more significant at, at the national level. What are some of the things that we have in common that you, you can see bringing us together?
2: As I said, I think a little bit earlier, we have been historically marginalized. And this year, I think it has been highlighted. Uh, the Black Lives Matter movement has been derided on the national level. And there's been an attempt to discount us. There have been voter suppression moves to get our votes, those that do vote, not to not to count. So I, I think that for the Black and brown voters nationally to come out in force, and quite frankly, whoever people choose to vote for, you need to vote Often, there were a lot of people that, for the last presidential election, sat out and didn't vote because of various reasons, and no one can afford to do that. The country can't afford for that to happen, so regardless of whether your enthusiasm is lukewarm for one candidate or the other, you need to vote. I I think that's one of the things that I would like to emphasize, that when we do that, it counts.
1: Natalia, what are some of the things you think uh, we have in common?
0: Um, I I think it's it's just kind of uh, bringing it back to the event is the power of our voice, right? So right now, Vice President Biden is nationally trending um, not as well uh, with the Latino vote as um, Hillary Clinton at the exact same time, right? So if you look at like at the exact same time and parallel the races, the polling has shown that he's not resonating as well with the Latino voters even though this is such a critical election and I think that there are a lot of different reasons I encourage people to uh, go reach out to Voto Latino on Facebook that they have a lot of different articles and stuff because because it's so hard with the Latino vote because we're not a monolith so it's like are you talking about the Cuban population or the Puerto Rican population or the Mexican population like are you talking like about uh, maybe uh the heritage with Hurricane Maria or with um, the immigration struggles, especially at our border, just, you know, there, there's so much right now, right? And and each day, it seems like brings another catastrophe. But I think that one of the parallels in both of our communities is that we just don't feel heard. And then you kind of have to ask, like, are are our voices being represented in the campaign staff, in the messaging, in where the money is? Now, there is an influx of money, you know, being put into Florida. Right, because Florida is a key state, and I think it's like a hundred million dollars, and Bloomberg's in on that too. How do we do more outreach to that community to try to bring out the vote? And historically, also the Latino vote has kind of been undecided until the last minute, right? Until like the days before the election, maybe the the week or two. Some of the biggest influencers, because of because of our community, again not a monolith, but our family members, right? So we reach out to our aunt or our cousins or our brothers and sisters and say, you know, tell me about some of these people running because, you know, I've been, I've been kind of checked out. So, you know, tell me about this candidate who's running for AG or tell me about this person who's running for governor or what have you. So I think that there's that at play too. I don't know if it's truly as undecided as we're, we're busy with something, but we'll get to it. Right. We know we have to vote and Uh we're going to get there, but you know, we're probably not going to get there until October where, we're still, you know, in September. So I think that it's, it's really just being heard. And I think that it's what, what kind of work are you doing in in these communities? What kind of outreach are you doing? Um, Because I think for, for so long, it's that our vote has been, our vote and our voice has been taken for granted. And so I think that that's reflective of that.
2: One other thing I wanted to add real quickly is that another thing we have in common is that so many, Black and brown people are being affected by the COVID-19 virus. And we have, as two groups or a combined group, less health care coverage than the Caucasian community does in this country. And I think that, unfortunately, we are dying and getting sicker at a higher rate. So one of the things that we need to take into account is who we think will be better and has been better for health care yep. of black and brown people in, in this country. And quite frankly, and I can address this, I think that uh, so far the healthcare, care, the president's address of the health care has been dismal and abysmal, yep. and I will say that. Agreed, agreed.
1: Unfortunately, that is all we have time for. But the good news is everybody can tune in October 3rd from 1 to 3 p.m. on Facebook Live and listen to your panelists continue on with this discussion, address all of the issues, and maybe even offer offer some uh, solutions. For helping us to provide an overview of the Saturday, October 3rd discussion of the power of the black and brown vote, can you hear us now? We want to thank the Honorable Judge Valerie Houghton. Division II Circuit Court Judge, and Natalia Galvin, Chair of the Indiana 9th District Latino Democratic Caucus. Again, this interactive virtual program will begin promptly at 1 p.m. on Facebook Live. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have, if you have an idea for this program, we'd like to hear it. Send your emails directly to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. That email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Cade Young. Our original theme music was created by Jamil F.M. with additional background tracks by David Baker. I'm William Hosea. Tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB.
2: You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana.
1: Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond.
2: Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org.
1: That's it at wfhb.org.